You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. So all of a sudden, the coronavirus pandemic affecting football hits a fever pitch, and there's no guarantees that this is even the peak this weekend because of the length of time required uh, to quarantine, to recover, to test negative, everything else. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, joining us out to talk about what the SEC does now, senior sports editor and SEC insider at the Alabama Media Group, John Talty. John, thanks for the time. Appreciate you having me on. Greg Sankey's sort of saying it's a hold your breath moment and, uh, you know, we're going to get through it. Uh, how realistic is it to imagine that this is a one week issue and not carrying over to next weekend as well? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, the huge question at this point. And I think, you know, with what we know around contact tracing, I think that there's reason to believe that it, it will be an issue going forward. And so, you know, just here in the state of Alabama, you know, Auburn has uh, now 10 players have tested positive uh, with contact tracing. They believe it's at least an extra 10 uh, knocked out, potentially even more going forward. And so I don't believe that issue is just going to die, you know, just at the end of this week. I think there's going to be even more potential challenges going into next week. And so I think that this is an issue that uh, everybody knew was was a possibility to, to, to pop up. You know, I think we've known that with the, the rules in place of having to quarantine for 14 days if there's a close contact, that, that could really raise some problems uh, if players do test positive. And you know, to this point, I think the SEC had, had kind of remained unscathed for the majority of the season. They had a couple issues early on in October, but ultimately hadn't had too many problems. And it really kind of all hit ahead this week. Uh, and I think there's certainly concerns around the SEC that this is a problem that could linger going forward. We're talking to John Talty, senior sports editor and SEC insider for Alabama Media Group. You smartly point out in your article that, uh, more, most recent article, that there's a growing concern that teams uh, essentially that are out of it, the kids are going to lose some level of focus and not be as worried about COVID restrictions. What can the SEC even do about that? Honestly, nothing. You know, I think that you can continue to kind of uh, hit on the point that, you know, kind of we all have to pull together, that we all started this together and we all need to finish together. You know, I've already heard people say that, that uh, you know, even had one person joke to me that, you know, if they have to drag Vanderbilt and Mississippi State across the finish line, they'll do that. And so, you know, there's a lot of incentive to try to get these teams across to the finish line. But there's also, you know, there are obvious risks involved uh, trying to do this during a pandemic. And there's also, I just think, going to be growing issues and just, you know, having uh, these college-age kids who were asking to do so much to try to play football. Uh, and it's going to be increasingly difficult to, to get them to – to really give up every aspect of their social life uh, to, to play football for this, you know, so-called greater good uh, when, you know, there's a lot of other issues happening. And so, you know, we saw it happen uh, coming out of Halloween. We saw issues coming out of bye week. Now we have a bunch of other teams that are having unexpected bye weeks. You know, it's going to be very challenging, I think, to keep everybody locked into, uh, you know, so-called bubble uh, so that these issues aren't kind of continuing to plague the SEC for the remainder of the season. You can follow him at Jay Talty. He's with us here on Spain and Fitz. Talking about all the SEC football postponements. Conversation now about turning December 19th into potentially a game for conference games, regular season games, I should say, instead of the conference championship game. How does this possibility work out? Did they push the championship game back? Do they... Uh, what's what's? I, I'm still confused as to how they imagine using that date to make up games. 
Yeah, and so I mean, they could potentially use December nineteenth as a date to make up games for all you know for teams that aren't obviously playing in the SEC championship game itself. And so there's some potential uh, you know leeway there that you know if you had your games canceled, you know what else is you know say Ole Miss and Missouri doing on that weekend? And so there's a, a an ability, and they believe to potentially push games back. Um, you know, I think that. Part of one of the reasons to do that is just some of the different, you know, TV contracts that they have, you know, making sure they, they fill that inventory. But, you know, they would, you know, you'd have their marquee game of the SEC championship game, but they would also potentially play, you know, regular season games that have been postponed to this point. Uh, to answer your other question, you know, I don't see them pushing back the SEC championship game at this point. You know, Greg Sankey said again today that, you know, they look at certain finish lines and, as of right now, you know, it's December 19th. And so, you know, moving it back would, uh, would move the game back to, you know, Christmas Eve, which I don't think anybody is necessarily trying to do. Uh, would also, you would need, you know, the college football playoff to, to move back its games potentially, uh, which are currently scheduled for January 1. So I think it would require a lot of flexibility from a lot of partners that in the past haven't shown that much flexibility. And so I'm very skeptical that they'll be able to move uh, their SC championship game, which is right now scheduled for December 19th. But let's be real, John. If that SEC championship game is something that they believe will be a big factor into the college football playoff, does that change? I mean, if, if we're talking about Alabama, Florida, and the winner likely goes to the playoff, but they haven't played enough games, do you think the, the conference is going to be more flexible at that point, knowing that they want the playoff first? I mean, I think that's a great point, and I think that's something that people are you know are wondering right now. You know, I think it goes. You know, as I just said, you know, there's not a lot of flexibility and these people haven't shown that much willingness to be flexible. But to your point, you know, if either Alabama or Florida, the two teams that you know are currently slated to play in the SC championship game, if one of them isn't able to play the SC championship game, you know, do you just not play that game? You know, you would think that you would want to do everything in your power to try to play that game. Uh, it's a marquee game. It, it generates a lot of revenue. And also, you know, the winner of that game would, would have a, an extremely good argument for making the college football playoff. And so, I think that, you know, as of right now, I don't think anybody wants to make any moves. But to your point, you know, if push comes to shove and, you know, even if beyond the SEC, if the Big Ten or some of these other, you know, conferences are unable to play their championship games, maybe you see people come together and decide, all right, we just have to find a way to, to fix these issues. And that requires, you know, moving the, the national semifinal games uh, back a week or so. Then that's what we're going to do to make sure that we have, you know, the best possible uh, playoff team, you know, group of uh, options. John Talty, senior sports editor and SEC insider at Alabama Media Group with us here on Spain and Fitz. You know, we talked about the potential for teams that are struggling, losing players who decide they'd rather be out hanging out in college and doing college things and not worrying so much about availability. What about those who are worried about COVID and don't feel like it's worth continuing to play if it feels like a situation has spiraled out of control? We kind of seem to have forgotten altogether that there are lengthy and still unknown long-term effects from this virus. And so we're sort of just accepting a whole bunch of young athletes and coaches getting it. Is there any possibility and are there conversations about, you know, we're just not going to finish this season and wouldn't that be on the players? Cause I don't see anyone making money off of this deciding to, to call it off. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think, you know, I, I think for a lot of people, you know, whether it's coaches uh, or certainly players, you know, everybody had to have kind of that conversation, you know, is the risk of you know, all the unknowns that come with the coronavirus and the possible, you know, long-term uh, issues that we still don't know very much about, are those risks worth the reward? And so I think it, it kind of all ties together to some extent and that, you know, if you're playing for a national championship and everything's looking good, you might say, you know, 
maybe I don't feel amazing about this, but like I want to win a national championship for my team. I want to keep doing this. If you're 0 and 8, you might look and say, you know, why am I putting myself out there? Why am I risking potentially my future career or even just my health uh, to play for something that, you know, I'm not making any money off of. And so you've already seen some different players opt out. You know, you saw Tywin Hill uh, opt out at Mississippi State. You know, no one told me that that was the reason why. I think there were some co- some conflicts between him and Mike Leach. But I think you will potentially see some opt-outs you know, toward the back half of the season uh, with players essentially just deciding just not worth it for me to continue playing uh, with all the risks, as you said, attached with it, and you know the perceived rewards of playing the season no longer being quite there if their team you know, isn't in the mix for some of these bigger uh, championships or bowl games. John, we appreciate the insight, and of course, we'll all wait and see how much this affects not only this weekend but going forward for the season. Uh, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Hi, friend. Hi, friend. Hi, friends. He's my friend because we both know what it's like to have people be jealous of us. Alone. Bad. Friend. Good. And we're the best friends that anyone could have. We're the best friends that anyone can have. And we'll never, ever, 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 ever leave each other. You got this. That's right. It's ESPN NFL analyst and soon to leave us for Jeopardy, Mina Kimes. Hi, friend. Hi, friend. Are you excited about the new gig? I think you would absolutely crush it as Jeopardy host. You wouldn't feel like a replacement or someone that was trying to be like Alex. You would just be your own person. Um, so for those who have not been on Twitter the last 15 minutes, I guess, <laughs> someone posted very, very mistaken Vegas odds. I don't even know. It. Well, Vegas is an assumption there. Sportsbook odds that uh, did include my name on a list of potential Jeopardy hosts. I assume (laughs) it's either a prank or a weird football fan who works at the sports book and decided to throw it in because there's really no other explanation. The the right choice, by the way, in my opinion, is Ken Jennings, whom I adore. Hmm. Okay, which is fine. I mean, I'm just saying that if you happen to find out that this was happening, (laughs) like if you think you're going to get that call, maybe you just text your buddies first and say, hey, Got a call on that because I mean, if there's a book out on it, I'm 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 putting a couple bucks on it if I can make some cash. I mean, just keep us informed. That's all I'm asking. Keep all right, us up all right, to date. Okay, all right. I feel like we should negotiate that off air, but I got you. No, well, that's, probably. That's, probably that's, smart. Yeah, he, she might want. That's to why she's a sure. Jeopardy host, and yeah, I'm not. Exactly. She's smarter than all of us. Uh, let's talk about the NFL. We're at the halfway point, Mina. Uh, quickly, Christian McCaffrey. At this point, um, do we expect to see him again this year? Um, you know, it, I, it's hard for me to say, I think like from a injury perspective, from a team perspective, the Panthers are competitive. Uh, they're, you know, really surprisingly feisty. I went back and watched the Chiefs game, which was very close. And it, it, it was a great rewatch. They've been in every game. Thanks in part, I think a lot to the surprising offense under Joe Brady and then these young players that they have a very young defense. They've had a couple, a few guys really emerge and contribute there. Jeremy Chin, Brian Burns, but I don't see them having an incentive to push McCaffrey. And also, frankly, they don't really need him. I mean, he is an excellent player who makes them better when he's on the field, but statistically the drop-off has really not been very dramatic. Frankly, it's been non-existent, which is, you know, if you're a Christian McCaffrey fantasy owner, you might not be thrilled to hear that. But from a football perspective, it is what it is. 
We're talking to ESPN NFL analyst Mina Kimes. So, Mina, you know, throughout the course of the year, I keep watching teams play bad defense. And there are a few that are good, but the majority of the league, it just seems to not be catching up. As much as you've watched, by the end of the year, do you believe playing defense is even going to be necessary for teams that are trying to win it all? It really just depends on who, how strong your offense is, frankly, and who you're playing. I mean, Say you're a team like, I don't know, the Las Vegas Raiders, just throwing that out <laughs> oh. as an example. Um, mm-hmm. And you're very much in the mix in playoff contention for one of those wild card spots. Um, you have a very, very high upside offense. And as a result, your defense doesn't need to be that good. Now, you can't be a total thief and, you know, let the Chiefs or whoever you're playing in the playoff score in every possession. But maybe you just need to get a few key stops here and there, and your offense will take care of the rest. Um, just to draw another random example out of the hat, if you're a team like, say, the Chicago Bears, and your offense is less explosive, uh. defense matters a lot more. So it, it really is team to team. But I'll say this. There are definitely a very few top-tier defenses in the league, and uh, unfortunately, Chicago is one of them. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Mina Kimes. And yeah, defense is the only thing, really, for for the Bears at this point. Let's talk second half. Um, If there were a a sort of theoretical arrow that we're we're pointing up for most of the first half, and you imagine it's about to take a turn to point down, besides my Bears, who looked like they might (laughs) squeeze their way into the playoffs, what other teams sort of you think make the switch and the second half is significantly worse than the first? Oh, going down. Okay, I thought you wanted to be positive and go well, we up. Can, and was... We can be positive after, but you just mentioned the Bears, so of course uh, my brain is <laughs> yeah, a dark no, cloud of no, sadness. No, we... <laughs> <laughs> no, we should talk about teams going out. Well, you know, I think, um, look, the, the Steelers are a very good team, but I think it's more likely than not that they're not going to go undefeated. I'll say that. <laughs> um, so I think we've seen a couple of issues exposed over the last few weeks or so. Again, they're still extremely good. I'm just, we're, it's all relative here. Um, and in the NFC, you know, I think the Buccaneers with that, what we saw against New Orleans really, I, I, I'm going to use this word again, really exposed some of the issues that have been there all along with that team, which is Tom Brady under pressure has been a different quarterback. Now, He's not under pressure uh, that often. Some of that has to do with defenses he's played, but you saw what happens when he plays a defense that really can get pressure on him. And mm-hmm. I think, um, yeah, it poses potential problems for them down the stretch. I would say, similarly, Seattle, a team that I root for, so guys, I'm not you know, a homer, and I'm not going to say it's all wine and roses. Now their schedule does get easier in a few weeks. Um, but this coming Sunday, I think just given some of the challenges they've had on defense and some of the good fortune they've had in the first half, it's going to get hairier before it gets better. Mm-hmm. We're talking to Mina Kimes, ESPN NFL analyst. Uh, I, I got to get your thoughts because I feel like over the last year, you and I have, have, have both been on the Titans train a lot. And this year, the Titans defense mm-hmm. has been particularly bad. So I'm trying to figure out how good you think the Titans can be overall in the AFC. Yeah, they're another one of those teams with a high upside offense and a bad defense, right? And where maybe in some years that would be the just that would be game over, um, because there's a lot of teams like that they can still compete. Now, unfortunately, in the AFC versus the NFC, I think it's more challenging because of the Chiefs, Ravens, and Steelers. 
the Ravens and Steelers being more balanced teams with elite defenses and the Chiefs being, you know, a terrifying death ray of offense. <laughs> so I, I think that the Titans, you know, like that, that defense, unless they can generate more of a pass rush, um, they're just going to continue, even though the offense is explosive and actually they were one of the most efficient offenses in the NFL through the first half of the season, I think they're probably not explosive enough to compensate for that defense in the end against Kansas City unless the defense improves. Mina, what do you make of the Ravens and Lamar Jackson and what the ceiling should be for them? Incredible defense that we really don't talk about enough, so I'll start there. And because of that, Sarah, because the defense is so good, um, the bar for the offense is lower than for some other teams, right? Like unlike a, a Vegas or a Tennessee Lamar Jackson doesn't have to put up massive points. In fact, against Pittsburgh, they would have won had he not turned the ball over, you know? And I think you saw a really terrific formula against the Colts, who are a very balanced, good team. He played careful football, or mistake-free football, rather, for the most part. In the second half, they landed on, like, a, a, a passing formula that worked. And, you know, I think that is enough because their defense is so good. Um, they're still kind of figuring it out. You're seeing some adjustments made. They don't have a ton of weapons for him, and there's really not much of a passing game outside the numbers for a number of reasons, some of which involve him, some of which involve the weapons and the offensive line, losing two really good players. But I think that they can still be a contender because they have so much strength across the team. Mina, quickly, since I I did say something negative and I should end on a positive, (laughs) is there a team that's currently not in the playoffs that you think will make that leap and be in it by the end of the year? Ooh, I don't have the odds in front of me, so I'm not sure where Miami is. I think they might be a fringe AFC team. Yeah, they're in, at they're the in seven, seven right now in the AFC. Oh, so they are in the AFC. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm going to praise them anyways, even though that's the expanded field. Um, <laughs> just because they have the easiest schedule in the NFL between now and the rest of the season, according to Football Outsiders. I think they have a defense that has really impressed a lot of people, especially that secondary has been fantastic. And we are coming off of. One of the more impressive performances from a young quarterback I've seen watching Tua play against Arizona. Now, this Chargers defense in this battle of the rookies is going to be a little bit more challenging, but I'm very high on the team overall. Who is our friend? Mina Kimes. Bye, friend. <laughs> oh, Bye, friend. what you did there. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We all know that you want to talk to America's most incredible caddy. Michael Collins joins us now. Uh, thank you so much for the time, man. We appreciate it. So tell me what you're looking for the most with the, with the difference in time. Like what biggest difference is it going to make to the actual golf that we watched this weekend? Number one, you guys know I will always make time for y'all. Always. <laughs> no matter what. You're the so, best, buddy. Well, thanks, man. But I want you guys to also know. That next next season, we got 50 tournaments. So don't just be calling me during the major. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I love y'all, and I want you to love me more, please. <laughs> Here's the thing about the Masters in November, and this is what's going to make it so cool. I was literally down there on Monday and was with Ricky Fowler, John Rahm, and Ian Poulter and was asking them, just, guys, come on, tell me how it's different for you. And the one thing they kept saying is you're going to see guys play chips around the green that they normally wouldn't. Another thing that's crazy is the forecast temperature-wise for this week is warmer than what it was in April the week we would have <laughs> played the Masters. Because of that, like the, there's 
two different grasses that, that they grow in Augusta. So in the summertime, this is a winter course. The course is only open to the members October to May. So from May on, it's Bermuda. All that winter ride dies off. Well, because it's been so warm, the Bermuda hasn't died off. The rye has come in, but the ball's going to sit up a little bit different than what it normally does. So these guys said because of the conditions, because of the weather that's coming in, look for guys to play chips around the greens that you've never seen played before, which is going to be fascinating with how fast they're still going to be able to get these greens because of that sub-air system that can suck all the moisture out. So the fairways will be slow, but the greens will still be fast. So, Cabby, does that kind of take away? Does that take away from the, the the benefit to those who have played it many times? Like, like you're a caddy, are you going to be telling guys if if you were caddying for them, um, play this differently than when you're used to, or, or no. you know? No, I I wouldn't be telling guys to play it differently. What I would tell guys is is be prepared to hit shots that you like to play. So when you miss greens, instead of having to hit a shot that you're not comfortable with because it's Augusta and because the shot you normally might love, you can't pull off, this year you're going to be able to pull off. You know, And because now there's no grandstands for a caddy, the wind is going to be maddening. When the wind picks up, it's going to be maddening because it's going to swirl in places that it didn't swirl before because there's no grandstands. So because the course is now wide open, judging the wind is going to be a premium. And for caddies, wind is a caddy killer. So who does this all play to the strength of? Well, because of the weather that's forecast to come in tomorrow, of course it's going to favor the guys who can fly it a long way. So everybody's talking about Bryson DeChambeau. And I saw Nick Faldo today put out a – an Instagram video, and at the end of it, he showed the, the numbers on his flight tracker. And Bryson had one of his drives on the range. The ball speed was 200 miles an hour coming off the face, <laughs> and, it, and it flew in the air, in the air, 368 yards. Jeez. He basically, from the back of the range, could have broken the window of the media center which is crazy. That being said, Augusta National is never a course about the driver. This is a second-shot golf course. So while it gives you an advantage to hit it far, this is all about ball striking. Because you don't – I don't – and I've gotten to play this course in 2017, Monday after Sergio won. Thank you, Lord. There is no flat lie other than on a par three tee box on that golf course. You're, the ball's either above your feet or below your feet. You got a side hill stance, a uphill hooking. Like it is so undulating in the fairway, and that that that's one of the things you don't see on television. And that's one of the other things I was talking to those guys about too on Monday night. And that's their thing. So if your ball striking is not on point coming into the week. It don't matter how far you can hit it. Well, and to your point about uh, Bryson DeChambeau being someone that people might favor in terms of the wind and those big drives, uh, there's that master's rule where you don't get the the greens uh, uh, given to you in sort of forensic detail. All the data that he usually relies on uh, is not offered up for this particular course. Does that affect him and his putting? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they they there's no green reading book for Augusta for the for the Masters. Now, here's the funny thing: Augusta has a book. They just won't put it out. They want you being old school. You know, the biggest thing that you get at Augusta in that in the yardage book that you do get is a red dot, where it kind of shows you red dot is where everything the, the break wants to go. Now, you did say something, Sarah, though that we have to clarify when it comes to Bryson. The wind will hurt Bryson. This is why oh. he's not my pick to win. He's not my pick to win because when the wind comes, Bryson can only hit it high. Bryson I is thought he not was cutting good. through it. Well, when you hit it high, nah. You ain't cutting through the wind when you hit it high. When you hit it, you know, Tiger used to talk about hitting it through the windows. First floor, second floor, third floor. You got to be able to flight it through different floors. And when you flight it, that's when wind doesn't affect it. Guys like Bryson DeChambeau and Hideki Matsuyama, who hit really high golf balls, they, they are affected by the wind more than anyone else. Because the ball gets pushed around when it's swirling, and then it gets pushed around again when it gets above the trees. And guys who can flight the ball don't have to deal with that. So Bryson not being able to bring the ball down is going to hurt him. I still think he's going to finish in the top five, but I think any kind of windy Saturday or Sunday is going to be one of the reasons why he doesn't win the green jacket. All right, so Collins, i got to ask you, if you won, and we've been talking, everybody talks about the food all the time. I've never heard your answer to this. If you won the Masters, what are you making everybody eat at the meal? Um, well, number one, the Masters in the Caddyshack, has the greatest fried chicken. Yeah, the, that fried chicken in the Caddyshack, I would <laughs> I would serve that. I would serve that fried chicken. I would probably offer a steak from somewhere, but fried chicken would be number one. Um, sweet potato casserole Ooh. would be in there too, mm. you know, because it's Georgia, so you can put the pecan kind of caramel glaze. On the top, man, y'all, I haven't even eaten yet, so y'all are making me hungry just talking about this. <laughs> Bad timing. Um, Bad timing. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, yeah, that would be my thing. Um, and I would probably, yeah, I would serve asparagus, but not because I love asparagus, and I do like asparagus. I would just serve asparagus because I would, I would want everybody's pee to smell funny. That the next day, <laughs> would all yeah. to be how was the Throw meal? Everybody was, yeah, yeah. It was great. Don't oh, don't go in the bathroom because it. I had asparagus last night, right? Because it does that to everybody. So that would do that all for. That would be my kind of joke for everybody. Oh, follow him on Twitter at ESPN Caddy. Collins, you're the best, brother. Thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate you. Enjoy a great weekend of golf. Hey, you guys, don't forget check out uh, America's Caddy on ESPN Plus. The second episode just came out, and I actually do something in this episode with Patrick Reed's caddy Kessler about the jumpsuit. The okay. one thing people don't know. So, you know, like Tiger this year as defending champ, he has to give that jacket back. You're only allowed to keep it for a year, but the winning caddy gets to keep the jumpsuit forever. So I got Ooh. to talk to Kessler about that. And we did a thing about Arnie's army. So America's caddy on ESPN plus I'm going to plug, I'm going to plug my show, man. I need people to, to watch. Tease. It's a good team. You should. You should. Absolutely. We appreciate you, Colin. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Thanks, man. You guys have a good one. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We're going to head over to the Shell Penzo performance line where we are joined by ESPN football reporter Jeremy Fowler. 
Uh, Jeremy, sometimes I'm out on Twitter, and we all know the cesspool it can be, but sometimes I'm reading something on Twitter, and it blows my mind. You tweeted yesterday in response to an article that's on ESPN.com that outlines some diversity measures, and you mentioned in that tweet the Chiefs are about to cash in on draft picks when Eric Bieniemy becomes a head coach. I want you to explain to everybody sort of the process and your thought process around what you were tweeting. Uh, yeah, so the league, uh, in an effort to promote uh, minority hiring, and they, they've created a system. They voted unanimously with the owners yesterday uh, that any team that loses uh, a minority, either head coach or general manager, uh, well, somebody in the pipeline, whether they're a coordinator or coming up in the system, lose them to a head coaching or GM job with another team, they get draft pick compensation. So you can get up to three picks uh, in future drafts if you lose a, a, a coach uh, or an executive to a GM and head coach position somewhere. So... Uh, the league's trying to do whatever they can to incentivize teams to promote minority hiring. So you have a guy like Eric Bieniemy. Uh, from what I heard, he is going to be very much a leading candidate this year, and so the Chiefs should get a draft pick as a result. Yeah, it's kind of wild that you would think the opposite. Oh, if you're the team that goes ahead and hires a minority candidate for a big position, you would get rewarded. But in a lot of ways, it then uh, you know makes people question the, the reasoning behind the hire. So you're actually then incentivizing the team that develops the talent. Do you think this will actually make any difference in terms of teams holding on, developing, and and turning their 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 minority talents into quality candidates? Well, it's possible. I think uh, teams already promote their guys for the most part. You know, Andy Reid really stumps for Eric Bieniemy, for example. You know, if you if you have a good coach in your building, uh, the head coach is going to speak publicly, uh, you know, very favorably of that of that player. So there's only so much those teams can do. It's up to the the, uh, the owners doing the hiring, and the, the problem was with the original proposals that you were going to have, uh, you know, a team that say if they hire somebody and then they get draft picks as a result, um, you know, that, that new coach feels like he's coming in based on a favor or, you know, he's dealing with perception issues potentially in his own new building, so it almost undermines them, undercuts them before he even starts. And so I think uh, the league meant well when it proposed that in the offseason, but that was the feedback they got, and there was some push on social media about that, about how that's just going to create an imbalance. So they figured, hey, look, we, we want to do something here. Uh, maybe this is the next best thing. So let me play devil's advocate to the other side quickly, Jeremy. I mean, if you think about it, if you are a team like, uh, you know, let's say the Chargers, it, let's say they decide they don't want Anthony Lynn as their head coach anymore, and they're looking at Eric Bieniemy. Is there concern of a level of caution? I don't want to hire somebody away that's going to give a rival in my division an extra draft pick? Yeah, that's, that's another domino. Yeah, that's, that's, that's an issue, certainly. So, uh, you know, but I think at the end of the day, if you, if you feel like you have the guy, um, you've got to go get him. And, it, it, you know, if you have to give up, or, or, you know, if another team gets maybe a third or fourth round pick, you know, that's not really going to change the thinking too much. Um, a lot's been made out of these draft picks, but really – uh, if it's a first two-round pick, you know, a, a day one first-round pick or, or maybe something in the second round, then teams would be more concerned about level of play. Uh, but if it's, you know, something in the mid to later rounds, I, I really don't think teams sweat that as much uh, as they used to or that the fans think. You know, like uh, teams trade more than they ever have before. You know, they're willing to give up first-round picks for good players. I think the, the flip side is they're willing to do what's necessary to get good coaches. Jeremy Fowler with us here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio on the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line. While you gotcha, uh, uh, any Steelers updates for us on Big Ben or, or anybody else uh, and how that spread is being contained there, if it is? 
Yeah, so, uh, Sarah, from what I've heard, the Steelers feel good about the situation and getting Ben back, but he's got to pass uh, his COVID test every day leading up to Saturday. If he doesn't do that, then it doesn't look good for him playing. They'll have to continue to isolate him. Uh, but Saturday they can take him off the COVID reserve list, assuming he does pass. I'm told he's been very diligent the last few months to keep himself out of harm's way, basically just going to and from work and home. And so, uh, you know, they, they feel like they're in a good spot there and, and that they've kind of isolated things enough where they won't have an outbreak. Even last week with tight end Vance McDonald, they thought they had followed protocol and, you know, it just spread a little bit on them like it's happened with a lot of teams. But uh, Roethlisberger will be good with no practice time because in the past, you know, he's had various ailments that he's missed a lot of practice for and still come out and played well. You guys can follow him on Twitter at ESPN. Jeremy, as always, we appreciate your time and your expertise. Stay safe, <laughs> my friend. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. What appeals to me is finding a punishment for you because uh, you're going to deserve one. You made a promise early in our reunion that you were going to learn how to swim by the end of the year, a skill that you should know by this point in your life very necessary and you never want to find yourself in a situation where you say to yourself wow this is really something i should have learned before this exact moment while i'm in a in a pool of rapids or uh this lake or even your own pool which someone did point out you own a swimming pool how do you not know how to swim well yeah i mean like i can stand up in it like my feet can hit the ground so it's good what's the deep end you don't have a deep end no, no, no. It's an above-ground pool. Yeah, it's an above-ground pool, no deep end on it. So It's, it's, it's above-ground? Like, you know, yeah, got an above-ground pool. Mm-hmm. I've seen photos. Well, well, it, or maybe the photos are at someone else's pool that's not No, no, no. Ground? It doesn't look. See, we, we made the decision. Uh, if you, we looked at it years ago, and we were trying to decide between above-ground or we had an above-ground. And should we instead take it out and do a below, like an in-ground pool? And instead, we spent for a fraction of that, but we had like a custom deck built around it that's like yeah. 12 feet on every side. It so looks nice. Anyway, follow deck. Fitz on social media yeah. and you can see his pool uh, <laughs> that he doesn't swim in because he can't. And if you I don't figure it, out how to swim, uh, <laughs> here's the things that you need to do. Uh, you guys hit us up on the Spain and Fitz Nation uh, at Fantasy 7293730. Hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed and said you have to swim down the sidewalk on an office chair. Which I just love. Just stomach down wow. on an office chair, arms uh, doing uh, preferably the breaststroke, but I'll take I'll take whatever. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, at Untouchable Cas one, buy the hottest hot sauce in the world and have them drink a teaspoon of it. It has nothing to do with swimming, but I'm here. I'm here for it. I want to see your face. Um, at Werner James five, thinking of the old Martin Short SNL skit of synchronized swimming. I vote he reenacts it. I'm not sure how no, you I do, do love synchronized skit, swimming so. if you can't swim in general. <laughs> That's probably but fine. That's probably fair. If it's in your above ground pool, you could be standing while you're doing your performance. See, now we're talking. There See, you all you had to do was come around to my side on it. Uh, at Angry Bears FDM said uh, punishment should be tar and feathering, but with maple syrup. Mm, uh, okay. I would think that would be delicious, but we know how you feel about syrup, which is you hate it. Uh, so that would be particularly bad uh, for you because you wouldn't even get to lick your punishment. <laughs> I have no comment to that at all. No, no, okay, no, good. Nothing. And finally, nothing. at Michael Klinger says you have to take an introductory swim lesson at a local pool wearing arm floaties. Now this I am here for. I, 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 it's got to be either stomach on the office chair, swimming through the air all the way down the street, obviously on tape, or 
I think I think the most realistic one, the one that makes the most sense, is if you haven't learned how to swim, you still have to go and learn, and you have to do so with a bunch of kids wearing arm floaties on camera uh, whenever there are pools open again. I'm not mad at that, actually. That's a that's a pretty <laughs> fitting punishment. I think I might have it coming, and it feels like it's actually a pretty good one. It's I, not I, that I'm, bad. I'm, I'll it's give pretty you that. tame. And it does hopefully eventually get you to the point where you know how to swim, which is, I'm really worried, buddy. I really am. I think it's something that you should know how to do by now. Yeah, that's probably true. You know, and I, we but also as know long it, as I'm always around bodies of water, I can stand up and I'll be fine. Okay. Well, I don't know if that's a guarantee. Did you ever go on any <laughs> cruises or uh, have you been uh, on a boat Yeah, we played on, on a cruise ship. We played on a cruise ship, and, and every once in a while I've been on a boat, but I always wear, like, 15 life jackets and stay near the middle. Like, I've got this all like I've Oh, got near this the middle. Well, that'll be great when yeah. the boat sinks. That way I don't bounce out, because if anybody would accidentally fall out of a boat, it would be it me would be and my you. friends. We'd turn around and be like, oh, this is funny, and then bam. Before I would also it, be know? very worried about your poor wife, Sunny, because I'm picturing sort of a reverse Titanic situation where you're lying on the one remaining board from the boat that just sunk, and she's trying to paddle alongside you because she knows you can't swim no yeah she she just leave me at that point she's like you know just just you had your chance you missed out on it you know and absolutely like she's a total water baby so i I definitely lose out on that one uh i can't believe that in all the times that you spent uh with the band on the road presumably at hotels with pools or in beautiful locations uh, hawaii and 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 in europe that you never thought this would be a good skill to have so i could head out into the water with the rest of my bandmates uh, speaking of bandmates, by the way, the CMAs are on right now, so that's like all your all your buddies, right? Yeah, I've got, got a lot of friends. Uh, actually have some friends missing the show because of positive COVID tests, which is unfortunate. But yes, they are, uh, the, the CMA Awards are going on tonight. You got any good stories about the CMAs? I presume you played it. In yeah, so times. I will tell you, like, there was one time that I did a little, like, it's the double dip. Uh, so I got the chance to play for not just the band Perry, but also Zach Brown Band. In the same CMA award performance, and they were doing a song that they needed two violins. They obviously have a, a fiddle player, so they asked me to come in and be the second violin uh, player on this. So it was, it was, we had a great time. It was a great performance. But the funny part of it is that I don't think everybody really put two and two together. And Zach and the guys, like, we're, we're all close. It's very good. Uh, but it was funny because I was with them right before the performance as they were announcing some of the nominees. And the band Perry was nominated against the Zach Brown band in one of the award categories. And it was funny to hear them murmur against all of the other bands because there is some level of competitive nature for some bands right. uh, to murmur against the even the nomination of anyone else. For I think it was vocal group of the year. I think Little Big Town won. They always did. But hearing them sort of trash talk everybody else along the way because of their competitive nature was hysterical to me because I was sitting in the room and I was like, well, this is <laughs> awkward because. I'm being paid by two different bands to be here tonight, yeah. but one pays my actual salary, so I'm not going <laughs> to say anything. I'm just going to say, cool, guys, and then I'll go play with the other band afterwards. So that was my, my lone double-dipping uh, story from the CMA Did it seem Awards. like they – did you mention anything? Did they eventually get it or no? No, I think, uh, you know, Zach and the guys are very, uh, they're, they're super competitive and super, you know, believers and we've done our thing our way and we want recognition for doing it as such. So it wasn't the time or place really, but uh, like I said, <laughs> totally cool with the guys, totally close with the guys. We did some work around the draft. It was great. We can all laugh about it now, but boy, yeah. that night I felt awkward as all get you out. You taken the high road. I'm impressed. I mean, I know you probably have a Zach Brown band voodoo doll, a set of them that at this point, uh, you're still <laughs> getting your payback, much like I did with Dallas Keuchel. Uh, that's a throwback to those who've listened to the show for a long time and the Dallas Keuchel <laughs> voodoo doll. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio.
and on the ESPN app.